Good morning, everybody. Good morning, good morning. I love to be with my church family. It is so good to see everybody here Sunday mornings, dive into the Word together, experience God's presence together, worship together. Um, we, for those of you that haven't been with us, we've been going through a series on the book of Luke. And man, I just got to say, it is, it is nice to be I miss two weeks. I feel like I'm gone for a year. Uh, <laughs> but I miss everybody's faces. Uh, we're going through a book, uh, a series on the book of Luke, and we, we are in this uh, season now where Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem, and Jesus just finished these several conversations, hard conversations, about judgment, um, about the what is going to ha- the the way to salvation the narrow door about hell all of these different things and so uh, after this he, we get another interlude of Jesus is looking again in Jerusalem to, towards Jerusalem as he's making his final way to the cross uh, and then we started this kind of new portion where Jesus is teaching or explaining the way his way the true way that it was always supposed to be and how that's so different than who the religious elite at that time, the Pharisees, their way of living life. And so last week you saw that with how we treat each other with compassion. This week we're looking at it through the lens of humility and next week with generosity. Just the the different, the way of the kingdom of God is so different than the way of the world, but what happened to Israel is that the way of the world became their way, and Jesus is showing, no, the way of the kingdom, the way of the true God, the way of Yahweh is this, and he teaches through parables. And so today, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 14, verse 7, and we're talking about such an amazing topic, one of the most incredible Christian virtues of humility. And so let's read in verse 7, you'll see the text on the screen behind me. Now Jesus told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The word of the Lord. Amen. I want to start off by asking this question for us today. Have you chosen the place of honor? Have you chosen the place of honor? This question is going to frame the rest of the sermon today as we look at this text together. In verse 8, Jesus says, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor. Truth of the matter is, I think all of us believe we deserve better than what we have. This is a nagging thought in our heads. This is why... If we go around the room and ask who has complained, uh, everybody will raise their hand, right? You don't have to, but (laughs) we all have. Why? Because 
most intrinsic, one of the intrinsic human common experiences that we all have is we all believe that we deserve better than what we have. In many cases, we are probably right. If we look around at the world around us, in the world of injustice and inequity at every turn in our society, we have all experienced types of injustice and equity and probably can say, yes, I do deserve better. I should have had better. And so oftentimes, because of this, what has happened is that we feel the need to fight for our place. Fight for our place at the table, fight for our place in society, fight for our place of honor among others. And what has happened is this has caused what I believe is an epidemic of entitlement. I deserve this promotion because I deserve to be in charge because of this department, of this ministry, whatever it is. I have this many years of experience. I have this on my resume. I have gone to such and such school or such and such certificate. I deserve, I should have. Entitlement, when we say I should have or I deserve, erodes our ability to be content. To celebrate others. To stop looking inwardly and to look at others and look at their compliments. To, to celebrate what other people have done to what other people have and are receiving. Entitlement erodes all of these things. And instead, it causes us to live a life of desire. Now, desire is such an interesting concept. If you look at the Ten Commandments, the one that truly hits desire is the last one, thou shalt not covet. And then the commandment gives all of those, your neighbor's goods, your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's cattle, your neighbor's house, your neighbor's whatever it is, thou shalt not covet. When we desire things, when desire is at the forefront of our heart, the forefront of our minds, we look at the things around us and we say, that should be mine. Maybe we look at other people's lives, we look at other people's positions, we look at other people's jobs, we look at other people's money situation, and we say, that should be mine. I have worked harder, or I am more intelligent, or I've tried here, I've been going at it longer, that should be mine. This church is a life of clamoring, of running to get for the next promotion, for the best seat in the house, for whatever it is, we are often fed over and over again that this life of clamoring, this life of desire, this life of side hustles, this life of get more, get what's yours, get what you deserve, get what you should have, this is the life that is spoon-fed to us every single day day. So much so that we have created more human rights by the day. I have a right to this. I have a right to that. This is a life of rushing, of rushing to be first, of rushing to be the greatest, of rushing to be the richest. And oftentimes, we don't even see a problem 
with this. This is the society we live in. It is all a race, Justin. Don't you know that? I mean, we are New Yorkers. We know that life is a race, right? This is intrinsic in our fab. This is like what we are born with. Terror, uh, terror, ter tourists, <laughs> get out of my way. That is a New York, right? Get out of my way. You should not be standing here looking at the tall buildings. I got to get to work. Right? I was, I, there was no bagels this morning, so I went to the bagel spot on the way to church to pick them up. And the lady behind the counter was just like having a really slow, great day. <laughs> and I was like, don't you know, I am in a rush, lady, to get to church. <laughs> Can you count the dollar bills a little bit faster for the change that you're giving out? Right? This is the life of clamoring that we live, the life of rushing that says, I need, I deserve, I want to this next place. It is always that next thing. And how can we run to get there faster? I'll never forget a story my friend, uh, a very good friend of mine I grew up with. You know, as we all did, we gave in to this lifestyle of just thinking our life would be complete when we get to what is next. And so rushing to get to what is next. And I remember he thought his life would be complete when he got his MBA and he realized now that I have an MBA, I have to go get a really good job. And I remember he got his really good job and, and he would fixate on these things and just constantly talk to me about, oh, I, if I just get this, if I just get this, if I just get this, then I'll be good. Then he got that job and then he realized, well, he wasn't making enough money now for this new lifestyle that he anticipated. So the next promotion up, he was just like, if I just get this. And after two years of talking to me about this promotion that he needed and wanted to get, by the end of it, that he deserved because nobody knew as much as him or understood as much as him or was as qualified for the job as him, he gets that promotion. And then he looks and he realizes, oh, I need to get to another company. And then I, he stopped himself and he had this epiphany. And his epiphany was my epiphany. Uh, because when he had it, I was like, my Lord, you are right. He's like, I realized that the day I got that promotion, I just started looking at what was next for me because I was not content with what I had. He was going to rush off to the next thing. He, if you heard this man talk for two years about his life would be complete if he just had this. And then when he got it, if Justin, only if you, really my life would be complete if I just got this. How often we rush, we clamor, we desire because we think this next thing, our life would be complete if. See, the Pharisees had fallen into the same trap. In the passage before this that we read this week, it says that Jesus went to one of the ruler of the Pharisees' homes. And so all the Pharisees, they come and they sit down to eat with Jesus and talk with him. And Jesus is being hosted at this guy's house. And Jesus sees everybody clamoring and scrambling. Scram I cannot talk today. Scrambling <laughs> to get to sit at the best seat at this guy's table. And so I just imagine this scenario because as I was imagining this scenario this week, I was just laughing about this. Here's 
Jesus. He's the guest of honor. The host has invited everybody, and he's just kind of watching everybody come in, and he's watching them scramble to sit. Who's going to sit in the best seat? Who's going to be closest to the host? Who's going to get that place of honor? And then he gives them a little teaching. And he corrects exactly what he sees them doing. And I was thinking about, imagine you go to somebody's house and you're going to learn from somebody and they put out like the best dessert spread that you can imagine. Now me, I'm a cookies and cream, ice cream kind of guy. You know, like I will never eat the cake. If there is ice cream around, I want it. So just cookies, ice cream, cake, whatever your fancy is, it's all there. And so you go, you're, you're filling up your plate with all the desserts, you're excited about this great dessert that you're about to eat, you sit at the table with everybody, and then you look up at the guest of honor who's going to speak, and it turns out there are nutritionists speaking about the evils of sugar. <laughs> this is what Jesus does in this scenario here. He sees everybody, exactly what they're doing, they're all doing what they have been trained to do, what their mindset is, get to this best place, I need the best honor, and honor shame culture, I need to make sure that my name, my title, my statute, status is all at the top. And Jesus says, do you know that this is going to kill you? This is wrong. Right? Like, <laughs> What an amazing thing to do, like something that only Jesus will do. Right? The greatest reward that they are desiring and clamoring and, and chasing after, he corrects them. The Pharisees see their lot in life, what they believed and what so many of us believe is that the greatest reward that they can receive was the reward of what someone else, some other person gave them. So if they sat in the most honorable seat, everyone would think highly of them. That was a reward unto itself. So the goal was to get the best seat so that everybody thought the best of them. If they had the most prestige, if they had the best title, if they got the seat of honor, this was what their goals were so that why? What is the point of these things so that people could respect them, so that people could honor them, so that people could look up to them? And Jesus, over and over and over again, he hits this topic. We see this as well in the Sermon on the Mount. When he comes against this, he says... Three different things. He says that don't do what the Pharisees do when they pray really loud in front of other people and really long prayers. They do this because they want the accolades of people. They want the glory of people. Don't, when you're giving, don't make sure that everybody sees the large sums that you're putting in like the Pharisees do. Don't let the right hand know what the left hand is doing. Give in secret for your father knows and rewards in secret. With fasting, when you're fasting, don't walk around moping all day. Oh, my God, I'm so hungry. I'm so hungry. Why are you hungry? I've been fasting to the Lord today. <laughs> right? Jesus says, put some oil on your face. It's like almost the equivalent of makeup. Make yourself look good when you're fasting so no one can tell. He says, because when you look for the glory of man... 
then your reward will be what you get. You will get their glory. You will get the reward. And the Pharisees had fallen so deep into this trap that when they go to sit down to have dinner with Jesus, they all run for that best seat of honor. So then I ask us today again, have we chosen the place of honor? Is that what we clamber, clamor for and scramble to? Have you intentionally elevated yourself to where you think you belong? Do you clamor for the best title, the best seat, the most distinguished place? Do you believe your maturity, your age, your experience, your knowledge, and your resume entitle you to certain dignities, certain titles, and certain positions? This is what Jesus suggests for you to practice humility. In verse 10, it says, Jesus says, go and sit in the lowest place. What an interesting way to live and to think. That, and why I say practice humility, because there is an intentionality that Jesus says here. It doesn't say just walk in and sit wherever. Where they were intentionally looking for the best place and the best seat, he says intentionally look for the lowest seat. That takes practice. A, a, uh, a spiritual discipline, if you will. An intentionality of your actions to look around the room and say, I will go in the lowest place. Paul puts it this way in one of my favorite passages in all of scripture. Because the implications are so wild for us that you can contemplate this scripture every day. And I think every day it will speak to you and be able to transform you. And that is Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have you intentionally practiced the way of humility in your life? See, this is the parable that Jesus gives, and this is the practical that Paul gives. This is how that theology is played out in life. To intentionally count others more significant than yourself. That when you look in the room and you see the highest seat and the lowest seat, figuratively, wherever that is in life. To look at all the other people there and say they deserve more. They should have better. You go from an I deserve, an I want, an I desire, an I should, to looking at others, they should they deserve. They are. Right? I think of how often when we, we just finished those three days of fasting and prayer, we fast intentionally to kill our flesh. Right? To do what Jesus said to do, to take up your cross daily and to deny yourself. Fasting is a great spiritual discipline in order to do that. We should intentionally practice humility in order to kill our pride. Right? We intentionally practice generosity in order to kill greed in our hearts. 
We intentionally fast in order to kill our flesh. We should intentionally practice humility in order to kill our pride. Because the scripture says that God opposes the proud. If we know that the fleshly, the, the prideful, that the greedy will not enter into the narrow gate, then what am I doing in my life in order to kill these things in my heart? One of the greatest outworkings of the Spirit in our life is humility. And let me tell you, the church needs this fruit. I cannot overstate how important this is. Humility is the way of Jesus. It is the way of the kingdom. And so often in church fights and arguments and how we think about the world and how we think about our jobs, we, we often think about ourselves. So much so that we never see our brother or our sister that is hurting. In this world of pomp and excess, how I dress, how much power I have, how much money I have. Jesus gives a different way, and it is the way of humility. Are your decisions in the morning, is it intentionally to show how great you are, to show how much you have, to show where you came from, to show what you deserve? Or is your intentionality in the morning, is it to practice humility? To show, as Paul said, I am the least of these, the worst of sinners. So often in the church, we forget where we came from and who we are that we deserve absolutely nothing of what has been given to us. And we look at our filthy rags, these little acts of righteousness that we have done, and we look around, we look to God, and we look to others, and we say, look at these great things that I've done. When it is truly only by the grace of God we do any of it. See, humility, church, does not presume. Maybe you do deserve the greatest honor in the room. Maybe you do deserve that promotion. Maybe you don't. Who knows? But what we do know is that hum humility does not presume it. Jesus, he came as a baby to a small town in a province so far away from the greatest eternal city, Rome. From a place that people wondered aloud to his face, can anything great come from this place? To a nobody family that couldn't even squirm their way into an inn to have their baby. Yet he, of all people, could have presumed 
to come to the best city in the greatest palace of the greatest of bloodlines. At the center of the world. He deserved it all. He actually deserved it all. That is not a maybe or a maybe not. He actually deserved it all, but left us the greatest example of what humility looks like by not presuming any of it. Humility not only doesn't presume, but it saves us from shame. I must say that as humans, we overestimate ourselves. It is one of the hardest things to counsel somebody as a pastor. Because nobody wants to hear that. But the truth of the matter is that as humans, we fall into the trap of overestimating our abilities, overestimating our gifting, overestimating our intelligence, overestimating all these various things about us. It's called hubris. It happens all the time. It happens every day. But when we walk with humility, when we stay away from presumption, the wisdom Jesus gives us here is that we will not be shamed when someone or something puts us in our place. Because let me tell you, it will happen. It may happen in a nice way from a loving brother or sister who cares for our good and wants us to succeed and, and brings it before us humbly and graciously. And we pray for that, but it all may, also may happen in a not nice way. We're someone who doesn't have our best interests in mind. Humility is not entitled. See, entitlement, like we said, is that logic that I deserve something because of who I am, what I did, or how long I've been around. Entitlement is the opposite of how we see Jesus live out his life. We have to practice this discipline of humility. I'm going to give you some ways as I've, I've been contemplating, Lord, what are good ways that we can practice humility? Some things as I've meditated on this verse that God has helped me wrestle through this with my everyday interactions with people. Like when I'm talking to someone, I put away my phone to show them that my life and my work is not more important than they are. Right? There's nothing more annoying when someone is texting while you're talking to them. Right? One way that you can show someone that their life is of greater importance than yours is to put down your phone, maybe flip it upside down when you're in a conversation, and give them your undivided attention. I resist the urge to post and share about what I consider to be my great deeds. My favorite bio as of late on Instagram has been 300K followers on TikTok. <laughs> Is like 400 followers on Instagram. It's like, why, why, why do we feel the need? 
Because I am, unwor- I am not worth anything unless you see me as valuable. My value comes intrinsically from the praise and the, and the thoughts of others. But when our value comes from God, that he says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, when our value comes from our creator, then my value is not in the accolades and the likes and the comments and the follows of others. And so there have been many times that I want to post something and I ask myself, why am I going to post this? And there are times where I believe genuinely it is posting because I love to share in the joy of what my family is doing or my kids are doing or some fun that I want to experience, express with others and instead of texting 100 people, it's easier for me to post. But then there are other times where I want people to see the great things that I have done. And those are the times where I check the app every 30 seconds to see who else has liked it and who has commented on it and who has messaged me about it. When I'm talking with somebody, I try to, re- to sit in a posture of listening and asking questions. Even if I have something really good to say or something important, to just allow the other person to talk. And, when they're, and you know what the hardest part is? To not think about what I'm going to say when they're done talking. Because sometimes I got something really good to say, and I just, I want to keep it there, you know? And I don't know if anybody has a, a better memory than me, but I don't. And so in order to keep it there, I just have to repeat it in my head while they're talking a hundred times. And so when they're done, I had no clue what they just said. I just, all right, I'm, my turn, blah, 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 you know? But to think what somebody else has to say is better. Even though I may think I have better wisdom, I may think I'm more knowledgeable, I may think all these grand things about myself just to listen. Right, these are a few simple things, but we have to, oftentimes theology is so grand that it never affects my everyday life. How does humility affect your everyday interactions with people? How can you practice this? How can you practice elevating others beyond yourself? That when somebody gets a promotion at the job that you think you deserve, what does it look like to celebrate them? To take them out for dinner and say, man, congratulations, you deserve it. What would it look like for us not to constantly clamor for greater, for better, for bigger, and instead to do what Jesus did and lay down our life? Jesus makes a promise for those who walk in the way of humility. God promises a great reversal. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. In verse 11, it says, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is a statement, a promise from Jesus that we can hold on to. 
Sometimes God uses other people in this life to do that. Like in his parable, it says, but when you are invited, go and sit to the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table. Sometimes it happens in ways that we can't explain. But the call is clear to trust God and do what feels opposite to our natural instinct. Our instinct, if I don't push myself to the front, I will never move forward. The kingdom says if I humble myself and move back, God is the one who will elevate me. And if this means to you that you will get a promotion or a title or accolades, then I would have to say you really don't get it. The exaltation that is promised to all of us is that we will sit at the right hand of the Father, that we will sit with Jesus in his inheritance. Yeah, some things may happen in this world. People may give you titles or accolades or may put you in positions of power. But if you walk in the way of humility, those things are meaningless. They are more burdens than they are niceties in this world. They are sacrifices that we make in order to be responsible with our lives or what God has placed us as stewards over. But they are not things that bring me joy at the end of the day. The thing that brings me joy at the end of the day is that my position with God, exalted in heaven, to sit with Jesus is my position with him. That is what brings me joy. We, say, we see this play out between Jesus and the Father as we read more in Philippians chapter 2. Paul says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Thank you God for the humility of Jesus. Thank you, God, that he did not find it a thing to be grasped, that he emptied himself, that he became the form of a servant, that he was obedient even to the point of death. Thank you, God. Without the humility of Jesus, we would not have salvation today. What fruit Jesus expects from us is an outworking of what he has done and is because it is something that he embodies himself. The more time we spend with him, the more we see the way of humility, the way of the kingdom, the way of Jesus becoming the way of our life. So church, I call you, I challenge you today to practice humility. What entitlements, what clamoring, what jockeying for position are you being called to lay down? Humility is the way of the cross. It is the place where we find the glory of the Father. The greatest glory that we can find on earth. I'm going to invite us to stand as the worship team comes up.
Father, we ask you Help us answer honestly, have we chosen the seat of honor? Help us do as you have commanded and as Paul has said to count others more significant than ourselves. Lord, even on days we feel like we're having a bad day and we deserve some grace, we deserve X, Y, and Z, help us to count others more significant than ourselves. God is all around us in our workplaces and in our families and on our blocks and as people clamor and jockey and push for position and, and, and advise that we do the same, help us to count others more significant than ourselves. That we would not be a church of earthly promotion of earthly title, of earthly swagger, but that our promotion, that our exaltation, that our hope would be fully and singularly in you. Humble us today as your people and help us walk out, Lord, by the power of your spirit this call that you have put before us to sit in the lowest seat and allow God and God alone to exalt us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, as we worship at any moment during worship, we're going to have our prayer team in the back. And so if you would like prayer for any reason, you can come to the back during worship and we'll pray with you.